We pick up where we left off last week in studying this great book of God's mighty works, God's deliverance of His people from their literal, physical, and spiritual bondage. Last week, we, we saw a conversion of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro was a pagan Midianite priest. He came to visit Moses, brought his wife and children back to him, and he had heard about all the mighty things that God had been doing for Israel, and Moses was able to tell him the rest of the story, even the behind-the-scenes story, including the revelation of his own need for a redeemer. And Jethro, by the end of that first section that we studied last week, Jethro had uh, submitted himself to Christ. We said that's not out of date, that's not anachronistic, because Christ is the one who delivered his people out of, out of Egypt. So it's, it's Christ whom Moses embraced, and it's Christ whom Jethro embraced for his salvation. We saw that conversion last week. And now we pick up after that because Jethro stays around a while. He hangs around a while to see Moses, his son-in-law, in action. And uh, he's not impressed with what he sees. In fact, uh, uh, Jethro gets fairly emotional. He, he looks at what Moses is doing in, in leading the people, and he sees something that is absolutely intolerable. He, he, he's, he's, he says, lotov in Hebrew, no good, no good. This is not good. What could possibly be so bad? It's something that, that Jethro sees that, that's faulty in Moses' leadership. What could it possibly be? Is it moral turpitude? Is it, is it, is it financial scandal? Is it, is it political uh, 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 scheming of some kind? It's, it's none of that. It's just that Moses is not leading according to the way God designed the world and his image bearers to be led. It's not that Moses is intending to lead in an in a improper way. It's he needs to be taught. And what Jethro says, in short, is, is that, uh, Moses, you've got to lead in such a way that, that people find peace. Do you think that's applicable today? Let's look at this word that God has for us, the gospel of leadership the, the kind of leadership that brings shalom or peace. We begin reading in verse 13, Exodus chapter 18. <clears throat> the next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me, they, they come to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, 
listen to me, obey my voice. I'll give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, would you open our eyes, eyes that are still tearful, many of us, for the disease of our world, and hatred and injustice, we need healing. We need healing individually. We need healing as a community. We need healing as a nation, as a world. And that healing can only come ultimately from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who transforms that love by which he saved us into practical actions, even acts of leadership. O oh Lord, we pray that each of us who has the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior would step into the leadership each of, you has, each of us has been called to, whether official or not, that we would lead with justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and those around us would experience the shalom of God and give Jesus praise for it. We pray it in Jesus' name and God's people said together, amen. <clears throat> this week I received a wonderful letter from and gained a new friend with that, that letter, a letter from a brother in Christ who lives in Charleston, South Carolina. He's a chaplain. He's been a minister of the gospel for 35 years most of that career has been spent as in chaplaincy within law enforcement, 24, 25 years in the FBI and the rest of it in the Charleston Police Department and, and uh, other acts of other forms of chaplaincy to first responders. 
he, he wrote me because he grew up in this church and he, he was uh, on our website looking for a way to make a donation in honor of some of one of his friends who had passed away. And, and while looking around our website, he, he, was, he became aware of what the Lord is doing in us and among us and through us. And, and uh, he listened to last week's worship service and he was so enthusiastic about it. He, he's copied it to, his, to the mayor and to the chief of police and to the president of the Rotary Club and other friends. And, and, and he, he, he gave thanks to God, not only for, for not only what the Lord was doing in our church now, but what the Lord had done in our church many years back in his life. He grew up in this church, as I said, and in the summer, he said, the summer of 1968, the summer, he said, the same year Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. This church held a, a, a youth conference, and, and uh, someone came from outside and preached the gospel, and, and that young man, that little boy, gave his life to Christ. And then he said, this church discipled me in the Word, and, and, and then Young Life taught me how to give my faith away, how to share my faith by building relationships. And I'm so grateful, he said, tell the church I'm grateful. Well, I wrote him back because I was in Augusta at the time of the tragedy, of the tragic murder of those nine souls at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. 2015, Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, came into that Bible study. He was, he was welcomed into the Bible study, and, 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 and then he left and came back and killed most of them. And that not only, not only did that tragedy catch the world's attention, but it also caught the attention that Charleston did not react as a city as the world expected. There were protests, there were, there were demands for change, there was demand for justice, but the city did not, did not break down into, into the kind of violence that we're seeing in some of our cities today. And people asked the question, and, and the, the rumor spread that, that there were deep relationships behind the scenes, that there were cross-racial, interracial relationships, and there were, there were interdenominational relationships, and there were relationships among the law enforcement and clergy and churches and, and the politicians. And, and so I asked him about that. I asked him, I said, you would have been there at the time, my, my new from, friend from Charleston, or you would have been there at the time. What story can you tell? And, and he said in humility, it took him a while to remember what I was referring to. I mean, of course, he knew about the tragedy, but I mean, the peace that followed. He said, oh, that started years, years before, years of building relationships so that when the tragedy occurred and I was called to the scene, I made a speed call to 30 volunteer chaplains who had relationships with 40 uh, first responder units. I mean, real relationships, personal relationships. They had each other's personal phone numbers, and that coordination occurred immediately. Yes, he said, the peace that followed was, was the result of Years of building relationships across racial boundaries among the various agencies and institutions of 
the society and and the glory goes to God and he, he says I, I it's the kind of relationship building that I learned at second prayers and and in young life. You know what he's what he's alluding to is is the kind of leadership that that Jethro, by the new inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling Moses to. It's cooperative relationship that that corporately reflects the gospel. It's, It's in a word, love. But love, the Lord Jesus taught us, is transformed into specific forms when, when Jesus was confronting the poisonous, toxic uh, leadership of, of the religious elite and, and the political uh, forces of the day, when he confronted that, he said to the religious elite, you keep the letter of the law, you, you keep the litigation of the law, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And the weightier matters of the law are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus taught us what the whole commandments have to, that the whole commandments are summarized in one word love love for God with all heart soul mind and strength love for neighbor as yourself but he said in interpersonal relationships that love is translated into three forms justice mercy and faithfulness we are called as leaders in whatever sphere we serve we are called to lead cooperatively in love with those around us to achieve justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I want you to see how it comes out in this passage. Justice is is seen in, in verses 13 and 15 to 16 and verse 26. Justice is what Moses was doing, and it bare bones justice in, uh, in Moses' activity. Morning until evening, he was adjudicating cases. He was, he was deciding cases based on the principles of God's Word. Now, you say he didn't have the Ten Commandments yet. He doesn't have the, the commandments. How could he do that? Well, God had imprinted uh, from the beginning of time, he has imprinted the essence of the Ten Commandments on the consciences of those who bear his, bear his image. And so uh, what will be revealed in Exodus 20 is just the codification of what he had already put on the consciences of his people. So, God, so Moses is unpacking the, the, the implications of that law that had been revealed. And as people become selfish in the middle of dispute and forget what's on their consciences, they have to have a mediator. They have to have a judge. And that's what Moses was doing. But he was doing it to his own detriment. He was doing it from morning to evening. He was constantly being surrounded by it. And Jethro said, that's not good. You've got to multiply the load by appointing judges of smaller units. But what is justice? A lot of confusion about justice. Here, justice in its barest form is, according to Cicero in the second century, rendering to each person what he or she is due. Rendering to each is due. 
Now that's not, that's, that wasn't new in the second century. That was, that was, Cicero was just stating that by common grace. He would have, it's what God has, teaches in his word. It's what Solomon said clearly in Proverbs chapter 3. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Every human being made in the image of God deserves certain things. Certain rights. And those are determined. Those are explained in God's word. They're in our constitution. Justice is giving to each one what is due as an image bearer of God. But it's, it's not just that. It, is, it includes a motive. That justice is given to one bearing the image of God because... We have been loved, and that person is loved, even as a wrongdoer. The image of God is loved in that wrongdoer. Paul said, Romans chapter 13, verse 8, when he's talking about civil responsibility, Owe no one anything except to love each other. The one who loves has fulfilled the law of God. Now, this is what politics exists for. I know I've just spoken something that has made your mind explode. But politics, as God designed it, is not this kind of hatred that is expressed from one party to another. But politics, as God designs it, is organizing, organizing society in such a way that societal good is brought, that, that justice is brought to those who bear his image individually and corporately. It's one of the great contributions of the, the, the Reformation. A German theologian named Johannes Althusius said this about politics. That's the word he uses. Politics is the art of associating. Politics is the art of associating people for the purpose of establishing, cultivating, and conserving social life among them. I want to read that again. Politics is the art of associating people for the purpose of establishing and cultivating and conserving social life among them. The subject matter of politics is therefore association in which the leaders pledge themselves to each other by explicit or tacit agreement to mutual communication of whatever is useful and necessary for the harmonious exercise of social life. Althusius said, you know, even if Adam and Eve had not fallen in the garden, God would give us politics, not the kind of politics that we think of today when we think of politics, but politics according to this, 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 this definition, the, 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 the selfless association of people within various parts of society for the advancement of the common good of those who bear his image. These causes, he said, these causes for which we cooperate, 
These causes, Althusia said, have built villages, established cities, founded academic institutions, and united by civil unity and society, a diversity of farmers, craftsmen, laborers, builders, soldiers, merchants, learned and unlearned men, as so many members of the same body. That's justice. Justice is achieved when each of us in our respective spheres of influence are pursuing in love cooperation with others in order to coordinate bringing justice to the rest of society, especially the most vulnerable. Jethro said, the shalom of God, the peace of God is not going to be brought unless you, unless you cooperate, unless you coordinate. Just a word about that shalom. I'm just assuming that you know it because we use it so much in this, in this congregation, but maybe you haven't heard it before. It's the, it's the Hebrew word that's translated peace, but it means much more than the absence of conflict. It's, it's a word that, that's holistic, that describes a thriving, flourishing it, it describes somebody being able, free, safe enough to step into what he or she is supposed to be and to do as an image bearer of God. To bring that shalom to this city, to, to people in it, requires us pursuing the justice of God. And then it requires mercy. That's what you see in verses 14, 17, and 18, and verse 22. Jethro, out of, out of mercy for his son-in-law, says, this is not good. This is not good. You, you are going to wear yourself out. You're not going to have the endurance for this. What's more, Moses, this is too heavy for you. Now, that's, a, that's an important word that he uses there. Kaveh in Hebrew, kavoth in other forms, heavy, or sometimes translated hard. Whether Jethro intended it or not, um, Moses would have heard it. It would have concerned him that, that, that when his father-in-law said, your heart will become hard because he remembers that God... God describes that happening to Pharaoh's heart. His heart became hard. Moses didn't want that. And it seems to me that, that by Jethro using that word, Moses' reaction to it, Moses understood, you know, if I continue this kind of pace and I burn myself out, as people helpers understand, you can burn yourself out and your heart becomes hard and you're no good to anyone. Moses, yes, you're getting a lot done, but you're going to burn out. It's not going to be good for the people. Jethro had mercy on his son-in-law. May I make an application here that, that, uh, that dawned on me during Dan Burns' excellent children's message? When we regather on the 21st, we're going to wear masks in the sanctuary. If you don't want to wear a mask, there are other places on the, on the campus that will be allowed for you to, and, and, it'll be, and it'll be simulcasted there. But, but you know, the... Our society is so broken that we've politicized even masks. 
And so some people are saying, I'm not going to wear a mask. That's a denial of my freedom. But it's, that's not a Christian attitude. You may be a non-scientist who thinks that a mask doesn't do anything, and you're free to that opinion. But there are plenty of people who, who say a mask is, is the least we can do to help protect somebody else or even protect ourselves. There are faults with masks and so forth. And so it's for that reason that we're having masks in the, in the sanctuary. We don't like them. Nobody likes them. They're not comfortable. But we do it as an act of love. And so maybe you don't believe that a mask does anything or you don't, it's a handicap to your, your freedom. But here's one very practical application for you at this point. You can show mercy and love because somebody else thinks that that mask is doing good and when you wear it, you show love to them. And over half the people of this congregation have said that they would feel most safe if they came into this sanctuary with everyone wearing with everyone wearing mask so we hope it doesn't last forever we don't want to do this forever and then you may ask well are these a bunch of hypocrites who stand up here on this platform because you're not wearing masks it's because every week this this team of green berets who gather here to lead this worship service get tested I mean the real test the 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 brain plunge they get it and um, they get tested that way so that we and we get the results just a day or two before we, we lead here so that we know that we come together in, in safety. That's the only reason we're not wearing masks. We wear them every other place. Mercy. It's foundational to the, Christian, to the Christian life. It's foundational to the Christian message. In fact, God says it is, it is the core of who he is. He'll say later in Exodus chapter 33 when Moses says, uh, show me your glory. He says, okay, here is what makes me tick. Here is the, here's the very core of who I am. I am mercy. I am, the word in Hebrew is chesed. It's impossible to translate that word with just one word. We try steadfast love, covenant love, gracious love. My Hebrew professor used to say, love set in concrete. But it's, it's, such, a, it's such a hard word to, to translate. It takes 66 books of the Bible to unpack it. The ultimate definition of hesed is what God did for us. While we did not deserve it, he loved us. While we were yet his enemies, he loved us. While we were yet warring against him, he sent his son to die for us. I love what one scholar says about Hesed. He said, it's impossible to translate, but here are some characteristics. There are three characteristics of a Hesed action, not just of God's love for us, but our mercy. When we show mercy to another, it has these three characteristics. He says, first of all, it is behavior that copes with an emergency for which custom and contract provide no norms. Behavior that copes with an emergency that custom and contract have no norms for. Number two, it's an expression of love and generosity which is unexpected. And number three, it's behavior that is surprising and ingenious. How is a society shepherded, led into the shalom of God? Justice, the right adjudication of matters, making sure that everyone, especially the most vulnerable, have what they deserve. And mercy. 
people who are leading in such a way that they're constantly surprising others with the generosity of their love, where they are constantly showing ingenuity, where they are responding to emergency situations with behavior for which custom and contract provide no norms. Let me give you an example. Four days after the murder of the nine and the Mother Emanuel shootings, The family members of those victims appeared in a courtroom. Dylan Roof appeared by closed-circuit TV in front of them, and the, the judge asked the victims, the families of the victims, to say whatever they wanted to to Dylan Roof. You can only imagine what you would have said, what I would have said. you know, I know a secret about that church. Not really a secret. Clementa Pinckney, who was the pastor of that church, who was teaching that Bible study, who was a man who was not only a pastor, but he was a local legislative representative. Clementa Pinckney was a graduate of the seminary I taught in in Columbia, South Carolina, Erskine Theological Seminary. He was a graduate of that seminary. I know what my colleagues taught Reverend Pinckney from the Bible and about the gospel. I also know what Reverend Pinckney preached week after week after week in that Mother Emanuel church. He preached the Bible and he preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the proof that those people had heard it and embodied it was that one by one they stood in front of that camera and they said to Dylan Roof before he showed any remorse, I forgive you. The husband, the pastor, another pastor whose wife was murdered said, I forgive you. A mother who lost her daughter. father who lost his son. I forgive. Unexpected. Ingenious, surprising, and it astounds the world because they don't know it. Shalom is brought by justice and mercy and faithfulness. That faithfulness, emunah in Hebrew. Verses 19 to 21, verses 24 and 25. Here, Jethro reiterates to Moses, look, Moses, I, I'm not calling you to, 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 to water down your standards. I'm not, I'm not calling you to, to eliminate the application of God's Word to these people. I want you to keep doing this. I want to multiply your effectiveness in calling these people to walk in the way, is literally what he says. But this is the way it's going to be done. It's going to be multiplying faithful leaders. And those faithful leaders are ones who are, first of all, loyal to God. They are trustworthy. They hate bribes. They're humble. We go on to, as, as Moses, we don't have time to turn to it now, but and Moses will go on to codify these things, these qualifications 
especially of, 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 uh, of public leaders in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 and following. These are to be humble people, servant leaders. They're to be loyal to God and loyal to others. If mercy is God's love set in concrete, faithfulness is God's hard-headed love. Where God says, not this way, but that way. And through us, in our application of God's word to one another in our lives, reminding one another of it, working for, for God's principles and laws that will bring mercy and justice to every member of our society, God will be blessed. Our community will experience shalom. Let me read what another scholar, James Skillen, had to say in his book called The Good, The Good of Politics, meaning it's a, it's a Christian approach to political science and trying to recover God's purpose for it. He says, the particular and limited responsibilities of government must include the proper treatment of each creature, including each human person and each distinct kind of human relationship, organization, and institution. This means, given each its due, a mode of attributive and distributive justice. Second, just governance will entail equal treatment of all citizens regardless of their faith in ways that are patient and merciful in tune with Christ's own patient and merciful rule. We apply God's principles of faithfulness to law enforcement, to the protecting of property, the protecting of the dignity of a human being even if they're guilty of a crime. We apply God's rules of faithfulness to our speech and the way we interact with one another, the way we speak about one another. Let me ask you, are you living in such a way, are you leading in such a way that people are astounded at your strange perspective and you have opportunity to say it's what the gospel does. Our community, our local community is not perfect. It has many flaws, still quite broken. And we're committed as a church and individuals to being repairers of it. But we have been blessed and we must, we must give Jesus praise for it. There is, a, there is a reason. There are reasons our city has not had the kind of violent reaction to the injustices that we've seen in our society, even among elected and sworn officials. There's a reason our city has not devolved into that kind of violence. And we're not saying it proudly and we're not saying it Pollyannishly. But that reason is because of the relationships that have been building in this city for the, at least the last decade among politicians, among law enforcement officials, and among the clergy and within 
within various denominations, across racial, so-called racial boundaries, even across faiths. Law enforcement officials, as far as back as a decade ago, started the clergy academy in coordination with political leaders, in coordination with clergy, to say, how can we together pursue peace in our community? And hundreds and hundreds of clergy have been trained in that, so that whenever there is a difficulty, whenever there is a, a hot spot or a, a, an act of violence or, or, or disruption in our city, not only are police officials dispatched, but clergy are dispatched. I could go on and on about the kind of coordinated relationships that we all pursue. Many of us have been working many, many hours behind the scenes in real relationships for real structural change. Forgive us if we haven't had a a vibrant presence on social media. It's because we haven't had time for social media. We've spent more time in very practical things. If you're called to social media and can do so without bitterness and without hatred, then by all means, demonstrate the gospel there. But otherwise, we would welcome you. Some of you who are spending your time on your couches and in your pajamas sending off missiles of hate on social media, we would welcome you to come and join us to achieve real change. Let me tell you, let me remind you, maybe you didn't either see the story because we haven't caught national attention. Only the, the places dis- uh, 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 devolving into violence have made, uh, made uh, national attention. But on Tuesday night, this happened in our city. Devonte Hill and, and Mayor Strickland and, and Sheriff Bonner and, and numerous other uh, officials appeared at I Am a Man Park together in coordination. And they decried the violence and they decried uh, the 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 injustices, and they pledged to work together. And then Devonte Hill led a march. He led that march down Hernando and then to Patterson and to B.B. King and to, to Crump and then to Mason. That, that march set out from Claiborne Temple where this church started. It eventually became an AME church where Martin Luther King preached many times where the I Am a Man posters were printed during the sanitation workers' strike. They set out from there, a place that was tear-gassed by police in the 60s, and people that I still know were jumping out of the windows in order to, 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 to save themselves. It set out from there. And peacefully, they walked down those streets until they got to Mason Temple, where King preached the night before he was killed the mountaintop speech. And when they arrived there, they sang Amazing Grace. If you haven't seen the video, you've got to see the video. And if you haven't seen the video, it's a crime of public leadership in our media that that story has not been told. That Amazing Grace was sung in a city that could have devolved into violence. Devante Hill said, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they need to know there's hope in Memphis. CNN and Fox and MSNBC, they need to know there is peace in Memphis.
Mr. Hill and others are not so delusional as to think that we have arrived. We have much, much work to do. But the story of the coordination of justice, mercy, and faithfulness in the city of Memphis needs to be told, not for the praise of people, but for the praise of Jesus Christ who desires this for our city, for individuals, for the world.